Hey everyone, I'm Cody, and you are listening to a public church podcast. I hope you enjoy the talk today, and thanks for listening. Wow. So I'm just wondering if you look back on your life, if you've ever been in a situation where you were following somebody, so you had a leader, and, and you found yourself trusting that leader so much that you began to actually think like that leader, maybe even feel like that leader. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it is a boss. For those of you who are athletes, this often happens with a coach that you really connect with on a deep level. That, that suddenly you're not just doing what the coach says, you're anticipating what the coach is going to ask you to do. Because it's this phenomenon called internal alignment. We're actually internally aligned on where we're going at both a mental and an emotional level, and we're all moving in the same direction. This happened for me when I coached at Bradley Central High School uh, football for 12 years. Coached under Damon Floyd. Damon's a great friend of mine. And what happened is the longer I served under Damon, the longer I followed him, the more I began to think like him and even feel what he felt. Oftentimes, I would know what Damon was going to do before he even did it. But this process took time. At one point, he asked me to step into a role with our special teams. Now, if you don't like football, I'm sorry. This is just part of football. Just hang on, okay? Um, We'll get to you in just a moment. But if you love football, because it's college football season, anybody? Okay, there's 12 of you guys that are happy. Um, Some of you are like, just checking the score. Anyway, so what happened was he asked me to step in this role of special teams, and I was like, you know what? We are going to return punts. We've never returned punts. I'm changing the culture. We're going to return punts. I have my first meeting with Damon. And one of the top things is, we do not return punts. We don't return, what do we don't return punts? And and I asked the question, and he said, have you met Cole Copeland? He's two times All-State. We just want to get Cole the ball. That's all that matters. We don't have to worry about returning punts. So I bought in, because he's my boss, and he's my leader. And I trusted him, even if I didn't understand. Fast forward two or three years, and there's another coach on our staff, and this coach says, hey, why don't we return punts? We need to return punts. And I said, because I felt it, I said, you know why we don't return punts? Have you seen Dylan Standifer? He's also two times All-State. He's standing over there. All that we want to do is just get Dylan the ball. Do you see what happened? Over time, I became both mentally and emotionally aligned with Damon. Now, Jesus followers, isn't this what should happen with us and Jesus? That there's an internal alignment with us and Jesus to where we begin to think like Jesus thinks and we begin to feel what Jesus feels. If you don't follow Jesus, don't you want to know how God thinks? Don't you want to know how God feels? Because as you're trying to decide, okay, am I going to take a step towards Jesus or a step away from him? I think it would help you to spend some time thinking about, okay, well, well, what's really going on in God's heart and mind? And so that's why today, whether you follow Jesus or not, what we're going to do is, I think, beneficial to all of us. As we look at three different stories that are a window into both the mind and the heart of God. And if we will internalize these stories, we will all begin to think and feel more like Jesus. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. If you want to go there and join me. If you've been around for a while, you may be like, does he know anything in the Bible besides Luke 15? Because it seems like we're here a lot. And it's true. In 2018, we spent three weeks in Luke 15. 
in 2019 and 2021, we came back to it. In the year we skipped, 2020, which kind of feels like a year we all skipped, but anyway. Um, in 2020, we didn't go into Luke 15, but we spent four weeks in other scriptures that have the same message as Luke 15. So look, we've got more material. Okay, I'm not running out of material. We've got a whole Bible. But here's the thing you need to understand. This is an anchor passage in our church. Like, as a church, if we're not aligned with how both God thinks and feels, then we can't be the church that he's dreamed that we would be. So we need to keep coming back. And if you stick around, I hope the Holy Spirit lets me annually return to Luke 15. But it's huge for us as a church. And it helps us become more internally aligned with God. So Luke chapter 15, here's what it says in verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. So, so who's in the audience as Jesus is teaching? Tax collectors. We could just insert the word traitors. They operated under this principle. If you can't beat them, join them. Because the Roman Empire was occupying Israel at this time and a whole lot of the world. And so I said, okay, we can't beat the Romans, so let's just work for the Romans. And not only are we going to collect taxes from our fellow Jews, we're going to collect taxes and then some. In other words, the and then some is going to give us an exorbitant lifestyle as we just oppress our fellow Jews while working for the Romans. So if you and I live this time period, let's be real. We would hate tax collectors. We saw them coming. We're going to throw, like, tomatoes at them. We're going to call them bad names. Like, we would not like them because they were taking our hard-earned money and living a great life off of it. And then you've got this group called sinners. Now, it's helpful to understand that in the Greek, this word sinner is an adjective. Like you could say this, he's smart and she's a sinner. <laughs> like she's athletic and he's a sinner. This is what they would say. So how did you get this adjective of sinner? There's a few different ways you could get this. One of is you're just openly and immoral. You're just like, I, I'm a disregard God, just kind of do my own thing and, and not worry about it. Also, you could be in a profession that actually get labeled as an outcast to religion. Like, like shepherds, just being a shepherd was often enough to say, hey, you are outside the bounds of religion just because of what you do. But also, you just be a normal person who can't keep up. Because religion at this time was rule after rule, and it's like rule A and then B, C, D, and E off of these rules. And you're like, I just can't keep up with it all. I can't meet the standard that God has for me. And so you become a sinner. And so in Jesus' audience are sinners, notorious sinners. Everybody knows they're sinners. They're sinners, and they're tax collectors. And I'm just wondering, how would you feel in an audience like that? Because here's how Jesus felt. Verse 2, it says, This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he, Jesus, was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Andy Stanley says it better than I do, so I'll just quote him. He says this, People who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus, and here's the kicker, he liked them back. Did you get that? People who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus, and he liked them back. That's what the text says. Luke's telling us this story. He said Jesus welcomes them. In other words, he was excited that they were there. He said, hey, come on, you sinners and traitors. Like, I'm so glad you're here. It was bad enough that he welcomed them. It was worse that he ate with them. Because in this culture, eating with them implied relationship. That Jesus was saying, come on, be my friend. And I'm just wondering, would you be comfortable in some of the environments that Jesus was comfortable in? Because, yeah, I love that. Because the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they simply were not. They are ticked off. 
because they feel like, man, God shouldn't associate with these people. And if he's claiming to be God, then, then what's the deal here? And so they are grumbling and they're complaining and they're going, man, what is going on? Like, why are you hanging out with these people? Why are you becoming friends with them, Jesus? And so in the midst of this tension, Jesus brilliantly, he tells a story. And he says this in verse 3, Jesus told them a story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Brilliantly, at this point, all the people in Jesus' audience, from the Pharisees and religious elites to the notorious sinners, they're all nodding their heads in agreement. They're all going, yes, of course. If we lost a sheep, we would go get one. Now, now we're smart, and a lot of us are like, uh, time out. If you've got 100 sheep, you can probably afford to like, go buy one uh, if you just lost one. But we're thinking in terms of assets. Sheep weren't just assets. They were a valuable part of these people's family. And so everybody in this audience is going, yeah, of course. If we lost a sheep, we're going to go find the sheep. Now, we need to understand some questions because you may be going, uh, what about the other 99? <laughs> it doesn't mean that they're left alone. What it means is that if Micah has 100 sheep and I have 100 sheep and I lose one because Micah keeps up with them better than I do, then what happens is I say, Micah, will you take care of my 99 plus your 100 while I go and search for the one? In other words, the 99, they're still cared for. They just get less care because the focus is on the lost sheep. Why is so much focus on the sheep? It's a life and death issue. Sheep are dumb. Do your research. They are not intelligent. And there's cliffs in this area. And it's very likely that a sheep could just wander off a cliff because they're like, oh, there's a cliff here and I'm just going to keep walking. I mean, this is just what sheep do. They're not smart. So the shepherd is trying to save the sheep that he loves. Now, do any of you guys have sheep? Oh, I didn't think so. So maybe we're like, ah, I don't really get the story. Have you ever lost a credit card? Yeah, you went to find that thing, didn't you? I think what's worse is a debit card. You might have lost a debit card, less security on that. You're like, oh my goodness, what is happening here? Let's take it a step further. Have you lost a cell phone? That's like ruining your whole day. You're like, I might get fired from work. I might not even go into work. I can't call them to tell them I'm not here. I got to find my phone. Like, what am I going to do at work when I can't check Instagram and TikTok at work? I mean, come on. We got to find our phone. And then parents, please do not raise your hand on this. Have you ever lost a child? Does your spouse know you lost a child? Anyway, that's for you guys to discuss later. I never told Whitney this story until the 9.30 when I told everyone, so we'll deal with this later. I've not lost a child, but there was a moment at the playground. We have two boys, Liam and Oliver, and she's talked to me about, hey, playground, you got to make sure you're alert. And I'm like, yes, that's good. I got to make sure I'm alert. And one time I had Oliver, the youngest, and I couldn't find Liam for about 30 seconds, which felt like 30 minutes. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I've lost my son. Like, I'm feeling it right now, like just re reliving that moment. And I'm like, Oliver, you're here. We got to find Liam. And I looked like, oh, Liam, he's here. And again, I hadn't even told Whitney. We'll work through that later. The point being... If you lose something valuable, you'll stop whatever you're doing and put your attention on finding that valuable thing. So Jesus' audience, and we, we agree, we're like, oh yeah, duh. In verse 5, it says, when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders because sheep are dumb. And you're not going to be like, come on, walk this way. You're like, nope, uh, let me just take you. We're going back home. Which is what we all would have done. But then, it says in the next verse, when he arrives... He will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost sheep. Now, this is the moment when the audience is going, well, I don't think this story is going where I thought it was. Because 
they would bring the sheep home and they'd be excited. But, but here's what it says this shepherd does. He is so fired up that he gets not only his neighbors, people that are living close to him, he goes to his friends. He's got to go far away. It may be 2 o'clock in the morning. It doesn't matter. He's getting his neighbors. He's getting his friends. He's saying, guys, I ordered pizza. Let's have a party because my sheep's back. I mean, this is costing him money. This is seemingly over the top. It's exorbitant. It's expensive. And he's throwing a party because he found his lost sheep. Now, when you found your cell phone, did you throw a party? No. When you found your credit card, or some of you haven't, it's a touchy subject, you didn't throw a party. Parents, when you lost that kid, you might not have even told your spouse about it. You weren't thinking, like, let's have a big party and oh, all of us meet at Chili's. I found my five-year-old. No, you're thinking, like, oh, my goodness, do I tell my spouse? What are the ramifications if... I never tell, how, could they ever find out? Would they ever find out? Like, like, you're just walking through these scenarios. So this is over the top. This is excessive. Why in the world does a shepherd act like this? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 7 as he finishes the story. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Part of the force of this parable is that Jesus says, look, this story I'm telling, it's giving you a window into heaven. And you want to know what happens when someone who is far from God returns to God? God calls the DJ. He strikes up the band. He says, somebody order wings. We are having a party. And the angels are going crazy. And God's response, it's, it's over the top. It's excessive. And yet, he's so fired up because the one who is lost has now been found. So the title of our series that we're starting today is Those God Misses the Most. Those God Misses the Most, which raises the question, who are those? Well, what Jesus tells us is it's the lost sheep. The ones God misses the most are those of you here in the room or those of you who are watching who don't Yet follow Jesus. How do we know that? Because he not only drops everything to go search for you, then when he finds you, he throws an over-the-top party. So Jesus followers, a question that I'm going to repeat some throughout this is, do you miss those God misses? Do you think about those God misses the way God thinks about them? And then maybe you've never gone to this level. Do you feel what God feels? For those who are far from him. And then brilliantly, Jesus, with his audience, he goes on to tell another story just to make sure that they get it. And I'm not going to read verses 8 through 10. Please go home and read Luke 15. It is just so rich, so phenomenal. I encourage you to read this whole thing. But in, in verses 8 through 10, Jesus tells another story. He says, a woman lost a coin. To which we're like, a coin? Like a quarter? Like we don't even have coins anymore. Like, like where, where, you lost a coin. But look, somebody in our church family, a couple, they actually run a coin business. So there are coins that are worth more than 25 cents. My dad loves to collect coins. He gives coins to our boys. And I'm telling you, if we lost one of those coins, we are going to stop everything and go find it. Because it's valuable both monetarily and sentimentally. Because my dad has given it to us. So even in our time period, there are coins that we'll go search for. But in this time period, this is a significant portion of our savings. And so she doesn't go, ah, I got the rest of my savings. I can do the other things I'd play with this. No, she goes, ha, ha, I got to find it. Where, where is the coin? And she says, she searches and she searches, she searches. And just like in the first story, when she finds it, she rejoices. And she calls both her neighbors and her friends. And she says, come on, let's have a party. I found my lost coin. 
which if you're a finance person, you're like, she lost money, she finds money, and then spends money to celebrate the money that she found. Like, this is over the top. It's kind of illogical. It's exorbitant. It doesn't even make sense. And then again, verse 10. I love how the message paraphrase puts it as Jesus says, count on it. Every time somebody returns to God, the angels in heaven throw a party. I love the authority with which Jesus talks about what goes on in heaven. How does he know that? Because he's from there. He's like, let me just tell you, I've been there, I'm going back, and here's what happens. When one of these tax collectors and sinners returns to God, we go crazy. And it's over the top and it's excessive because we celebrate because someone whom God misses has now found their place in God. So if you don't follow Jesus, and maybe you feel branded by churches, even branded by yourself, Jesus wants to rebrand you today. And here's what he says about you. You are lost. Would you like, time out. I'm insulted. No, no, no. It's not an insult because if you're lost, that means you have a place. And God wants you to be found with him. And you are valuable, so valuable that he will, for a time, give the 99 less care, that for a time, he will set aside the nine coins to come pursue you. And when he finds you, it's an over-the-top, excessive party because you are lost and valuable to God. God missed you, and now you are back with him. Jesus followers, is that how we feel towards people who are lost and valuable to God? What do our actions say about how we feel and how we think? Perhaps this story is revealing some misalignment internally between us and God. And Jesus, I love him. He just doubles down. In verse 11, he's like, I just want to make sure you know I'm not making this stuff up. I'm really serious about this. Because in verse 11, it says, to illustrate the point further. In other words, to drive the point home, Jesus told him the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, we read this, we're like, man, that's super disrespectful. No, no, this is way more than just disrespectful. Here's what he's saying to his dad. Dad, I wish you had already died. But since you haven't died, I've been waiting on you to die. I've even thought about taking care of it myself. I'm not going to go that far. But I wish you died. So since you're still alive, go ahead and give me my share. Do you feel the entitlement? Like, it's my stuff, and you're still around, so go ahead and give it to me now. That's what he asked for. And so the father divides the estate. It says, a few days later, this young son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Man, he not only says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my stuff. Then he cashes it out. Here's what's happening financially. First off, he's getting half of the estate at a lesser rate, and then he's selling it for less than they could get for it later on. He's putting his family in a financial bind. Now, it doesn't mean that the land's going to go to somebody else right now, but it means when the dad dies, some of that land that should just go to the family is now going to go straight to somebody else. It's a terrible financial decision, and he doesn't even care. And I'm telling you, the original audience would have loathed this guy. Oh, you're saying that to your dad? Man, you are the scum of the earth. Not only did you tell your dad you wish he was dead, then you just cash it out? Man, you're terrible. Don't you feel that? It's like, man, I hope this guy gets what's coming. And then it says he just wasted all the money. He doesn't invest it. He doesn't do something. He just wastes it, blows it all. I mean, this guy, oh, he's just, oh. You don't want your kids hanging out with this guy. 
you don't want to be around this guy. When he comes, starts coming, you're like, get away from me. Like, this guy's terrible. It says, verse 14, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. Let's go. It's about time. You reap what you sow, bro. You made your bed, lay in it. And I hope the covers keep you from getting out. God's justice and his judgment. You spin it all, now you're hungry. Come on, this is what the audience was thinking. This is what some of us are thinking. Like this little brat is getting what he deserves. And then it says this. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed, to feed I can read, I promise, to feed the pigs. And here, it gets even worse. Like the, the audience is getting even madder at this guy. Because to go to a faraway country means to leave what they would have considered God's country, the land of Israel. And then he hires himself out to someone who has pigs. Like Jews have very strict rules about what is clean and unclean and what you can touch and, and eat and can't touch and can't eat. And bacon was unclean. Okay? Thank God for Jesus that we can have bacon. I'm just saying. But for them at this point, like a pig, man, that's terrible. So he gets worse. And now he's around pigs. And then it says this. It says, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. Have you ever seen pig slop, first of all? Okay, maybe some of us, like you can YouTube it later. But, but even if you've seen it, you've never thought, man, that looks good. I just want to bite. Come on, little piggy, give me a bite. No, no, we don't think like that. This guy is so hungry, so desperate. He's gone so far away from God that he's like, that pig slop looks good. And then it says this, but no one gave him anything. Yes. Oh, the justice of God feels good. That's what he deserves. And the audience, and if we're honest, if we'll let ourselves become part of the audience, some of us are feeling the same way. And he, this is what he gets for all this trash he's done. And then in verse 17, Jesus, I think he leans in and he says, when he finally came to his senses. Hmm. And if, if you don't follow Jesus, this is the moment we're praying for. Now, now, we're not saying in some arrogant way, oh, when you like wake up. No, no, here's what we're saying. Man, we have tasted and experienced Jesus, and he is the best way to live. He's the best way to navigate life on earth. No matter the adversity that comes, he's our only hope for life after earth. So we're not trying to be arrogant. We're just trying to say, man, we pray that you would wake up and realize that the path you're on may look good, but it is ultimately leading to your ruin, and Jesus wants to put you on a new path. So, so if you will, right now, we're just going to pray that that would happen, even today in this gathering. So if you follow Jesus, pray for your friends who don't. If you don't have any friends that don't, a lot of us do. Just pray for our family, like so-and-so's family or somebody's family or somebody's friends. And if you don't follow Jesus, just accept our prayers over you, please. So Jesus, we come before you, and here's what I pray, Father. Would you, would you draw people to your son, Jesus, Father? Father, I pray that you would bind the spirit that blinds because there is a spirit that is blinding people in this room that are watching, they're gonna watch this later. It is blinding them from seeing who you really are. So bind that spirit, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would give positive and providential relationships. The people who don't follow you, they would have providential, seemingly chance encounters with people who do follow you. And that those would be positive, and we would point them to you. We would be salt, and we'd be reconcilers in those 
moments. Father, we pray that you would loose the spirit of adoption. That you would let people feel and know that you, Father, want them to be your sons and daughters. That you want us to cry out to you as a child cries out to his dad. And I pray that you would release the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. That as you bind the spirit that blinds, you would release a spirit that opens eyes and opens hearts to see who you are. Would you do it, Jesus? It's your name we pray. Amen. You know, that's what we're praying for our friends who don't follow Jesus. But if we're honest, that's probably not what we're praying for this dude in the story. We want him to keep getting what's coming. But he's woken up. And so if you read verses 18 through 20, here's simply what he does. He repents. Repent simply means a change in mind that results in a change of action. That he's been doing things his own way, and it has not worked. He tried to save himself. That's why he hired himself out to the pig farmer. And he couldn't save himself, and so he repents. He's literally going to turn and return home to his father. He's going to walk in a different direction. That's the invitation to you. That you would repent. You realize, man, my way's not working. Jesus, you be my king. Let's do things your way. Because here's what it literally says in verse 20. He returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. You know, I read that somebody said we should rename this story from the parable of the prodigal son to the parable of the running father. I can get down with that. Can you imagine the scene? The father, every morning, just gets up and goes on his porch and he looks. Maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day. And he wakes up the next morning. Maybe it's today. And then one day, oh, there's my son! My son! Oh! I mean, can you imagine the father? He takes off because his son has finally come home. He's woken up every day waiting for this moment. Do you feel his emotions? As he takes off, and look, man, he embraces his son. His son is disgusting. He's got pig slop and pig germs on him. His dad actually won't be able to go in the temple and worship for a certain amount of time because he hugs his son. But the father doesn't care because his son's back. And this is what he's been waiting on. And the son has a speech. The son says, Dad, let me tell you, I've sinned against heaven. And you I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But here's what his dad says. It says, the father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him because he smells terrible and looks worse. Let's get this boy cleaned up. And then he says, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. These are symbols that symbolize full restoration into the family. And kill the calf we have been fattening. Please underline that. We're going to come back to it. Why? Because we must celebrate with the feast. This son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Do you see the over-the-top, exorbitant, crazy reaction by the Father who's showing us how God responds to us? And to me, one of the key details in here is that he's been fattening the calf. In other words, he's been waiting on his son to come back. You feel that? He wasn't just like, oh, my son, get a cow. No, he's like, every day, get that calf a little fatter. I'm telling you, he's going to come back. Get him a little fatter. Give him a little bit more grain. Come on, give him some more grass. He is going to come back. He is ready, and the Father is ready for you. 
He has been anticipating it. Know this, Jesus didn't just run to you. He ran to the cross for you. It wasn't just for a warm embrace, but he died on the cross, willingly, voluntarily sprinted to the cross because it was the only way we could be forgiven. It was the only way we could be restored to a relationship with God. And he did it for us. And so the question, if you don't follow Jesus, is today the moment you come to your senses? And do you want to repent like this son did? Repent doesn't mean you clean yourself up. The cross takes care of that. Repent doesn't mean you figure out all the right things to do. I love how Tess talked about that. She's trying to do all the right things, but then she realized it's not about doing all the right things. It's about learning to live in his resurrection power. He will teach us how to live in his resurrection power. But he conquered death and rose from the dead. So do you want to repent? I'm telling you, repentance activates the Father's running. When you repent, when you turn back, man, the Father is coming because he's been waiting for you and the calf is ready. So if you want to follow Jesus today, just tell him that. If you're online and you tell him that, email prayer at publicchurch.com. We want to talk about next steps, baptism. If you're in the room, man, go to the prayer corner before you leave today so we can celebrate with you and talk about what it means to take that next step as a Jesus follower. But this isn't the only character in the story, is it? It's not just about the younger son. There's an older brother. And in verse 25, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. Your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go and we throw him under the bus and we criticize him. Oh, don't be the younger brother. But you remember how we felt about this worthless, disrespectful, scum of the earth kid? I think a lot of us would feel like that older brother too. But man, it's not right. You, you killed the fattened calf. <laughs> Come on, what's going on? But notice this. The father came out and begged him. The father's pursuing both sons. You feel that? If you're here today and you're misaligned with the Father's heart and the Father's mind, he's pursuing you. He's inviting you to have some internal alignment with him and how he thinks and feels about people who are lost and valuable to him. And he replied, though, as his father begged him, all these years I've slaved for you, never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And all that time you never even gave me a young goat, I don't even a calf, just a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. So the message paraphrase, it says they barbecued the cow, and then I began to have a little bit more empathy for the brother. He just wants some barbecue. Come on, some homemade barbecue is good. Hey, just like that, I just wanted a barbecue go. Like what? But isn't this us? I can't believe she's here. I could tell you some stuff about her. Oh, him? Two weeks, bro. Over, under? You want to bet on this? Two weeks and he'll be back. Mm. That group of people? I may just have like a vague tweet later about, mm, glad some people were in church today. They need it. How often are we the younger brother? And you know what we're really asking for in those moments? We want him to pay more. Man, it's not right. 
He gets the waltz back in. Look, he had consequences. His consequences is what woke him up and called him to come back. But let's be honest, we want more. We want him to pay more of a price. We got to understand there's nothing more for him to pay because Jesus paid it all. And why are we asking him to pay for something that we haven't paid for? Why are we asking for these people who are far from God to pay a price that we didn't have to pay because Jesus paid it all for us too? The only way I got in is because Jesus went to the cross and the resurrection. And for all of us that are in, that's the only way in is through Jesus. So let's just rest in the fact that he paid it all for us and he paid it all for the people he misses. And that's what the Father says. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me. Everything I have is yours. Look, some of us need to realize that people returning to God does not jeopardize what God has planned for us. We're operating with a scarcity mindset. Like if you come back to God, is that going to take some of my inheritance? Is that going to take some of what I got? No, God has enough. He's got it all. He's got enough for all of his lost sons and daughters to return to him. It's an abundance mindset that God's trying to put inside of our souls. And he said, we had to celebrate this happy day. If your brother was dead and has come back to life, he was lost, but now he's found. The father's basically like, hey, the 11th commandment is when the sinner returns home, you throw a party, because that's what heaven's doing. Why does it matter? Because it's not just lost and found, it's death and it's life. Remember the sheep? The sheep that was just going to walk off the cliff and we don't go save him? Man, some of us are about to walk off some cliffs, aren't we? And some of us have been saved by the grace of Jesus from walking off some cliffs. And we need to want other people to be saved too instead of just being like, well, I got saved, I'm good. Because that's the attitude of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the older brother. So do we miss those God misses the most? Do we think about the lost and valuable to God like God thinks about him? And do we feel for those far from God what God feels for them? Because part of this story is this emotional reaction that God has. Because you don't throw a party and spend money and do all this stuff unless there's something emotional and visceral inside of you that's just like, let's go! So do we feel what the Father feels? And how do we get aligned? Well, it's already been happening in this gathering. Do you realize that we've gotten the gospel six times in this gathering so far? Tess, we sing King of Kings. Luke 15, these three stories are all the gospel, and then I retold it. Six times we've received the gospel. And that's the path to us aligning with the Father's heart. We have to know the gospel. Here's the action for us. That just like Tess wrote the gospel in her own words, that all of us would write the gospel in our own words. As we internalize the gospel, here's what's going to happen. We're going to begin to think more like Jesus. We're going to begin to feel more like Jesus looking at what he did for us and wanting him to do that for others that will take care of our alignment issues so, so the plan is real simple this week take some time and read through Luke 15 and then write the gospel in your own words know it and I'm telling you the longer you wait in the week the less likely you will be to do it so do it today do it tomorrow morning do it when you get off work tomorrow do it on Tuesday and what's going to happen is as you go to work and you go into your classroom and you go into your dorm room and you go into your places of influence suddenly you're going to begin to think and feel about people differently and there's going to be environments that on Friday you were like, oh, I'm not comfortable, I'm not comfortable here, that Jesus would have walked in and just loved people. And now all of a sudden over time, you're going to walk into those environments like Jesus did. And may it be said of us that 
people who were nothing like Jesus liked us, and we liked them back, and we pointed them to life change in Jesus. So as public worship comes up, we're going to sing one more song, but I just challenge you, if you need to write it right now, go ahead and write it. If you need to go to the prayer corner and just have somebody pray for you, if you need to follow Jesus, this is some space to do this. As they come, Jesus followers, there's something really important that we need to understand. A final thought on these stories. Man, our Father loves that we're here. He's fired up about the relationship that He gets to have with every single one of us. And He is unsatisfied with those who aren't here. He's unsatisfied with those who are lost and whom he misses. And he wants to ignite in us the same passion, the same mindset that he has to go out and pursue the one. Because somebody pursued us. And may we never be people who are just content to get in. But may we be people who are always inviting somebody else to come back to our Father. So Jesus, in this time, as we reflect, as we sing, I pray that you would just align us both mentally and emotionally more with who you are. Lead people to repent for the first time. And I thank you that we get to sing to you. You are the same God whom Jesus was telling the stories about. You're the same God who's telling these stories that we get to sing to and that who gets to change us. We love you, Jesus. Change us. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'd love to connect with you on any of our social media platforms at A Public Church or through our app or website, publicchurch.com. To give towards the vision of Public Church, you can do so through our app or website via PushPay or by texting Public Church in all caps with no space to 77977. Again, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.